Well, good morning. I thank you. See, I, I've, I expected there was a sort of conspiracy to feed everyone breakfast uh, before the service. I asked Edward if there was, and he said uh, he knew nothing about it to put people to sleep. And so I'll work very diligently to keep your attention this morning. But I'm grateful you're here. Grateful you're back from Thanksgiving and ready for Christmas. I know that's may sound like a word you're not ready to hear, but the lights are up. Thanksgiving's passed. We set our tree and all of our nativity scenes and stuff. Wreaths last night we decorated for. Um, and so we're ready. And as a church, we begin this morning uh, with Advent. And you, you most likely received a letter in the mail a couple of weeks ago. You received an Advent guide last week. If you didn't, you can pick one up today. And this word Advent simply means coming or arrival and so the first coming of Christ, and, and then we are here this side of the cross waiting the second coming of Christ. And this morning, as Edward pointed out, we're going to begin by looking at promises. We, we were given promises very early on in Scripture. So grab your Bible. There should be a Bible under the chair in front of you if you don't have one. And we're going to, be in, we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 3. Okay, So while you're turning there... Last week, we ended the service with the Advent Guide, and we passed them out. And I stood here and I said, listen, um, Christmas is a good thing. We celebrate and we decorate and we buy gifts, and all of those things are good. I'm not going to stand before you and say, don't do any of those things. But they're all shadows. They're all just a smaller thing that points to something greater. And, and life is filled with those types of things. Marriage is a shadow of something greater. And the Bible tells us that in Ephesians 5. It's a mystery. And the husband represents Christ and the wife, the, the bride. And, and so we are a shadow of something greater when he comes for his bride, the church. And, and Christmas is one of those things. All of these presents and gifts and lights and this waiting inside of us. And so we said we need to work very, very hard to get underneath all of that because the world is not on your side. We heard Edward preach that last week as he talked about Satan, our adversary, the devil. He prowls like a roaring lion. We, we, the world is not on our side. And so the world is not saying to you, hey, Johnny, keep your eyes on Christ, right? He's, the world is saying, hey, Colton, keep your eyes on me, right? Consumerism is knocking at your door, right? And so we need to work very hard to get under that. And so we produce this Advent Guide as a way to help you as an individual or as a, a family to begin to lift your eyes and to look to Christ. Yes, wrap some gifts. Yes, put up a tree. Yes, hang lights. Yes, do all of that. But the greatest gift, the, the greater gift is, is Christ. And the reason that all of this is happening is because of Christ, not because of presence. Okay. So we looked at Colossians when we said that. And, and this week I'm going to just take a very, very cursory glance of the Old Testament. We're going to walk very quickly through much of the Old Testament as we look at some of the big promises that God gives us in His Word. And how the saints of old waited like we wait today. It feels like a very, very long time. Uh, but they waited for centuries uh, for the Messiah to come. And we're going to look at those promises. Now, we are a very impatient people. I don't know if you are aware of that. I alluded to that last week as I talked about being ready to move and this kind of ordeal I got into with painting and 
many colors and carpets and all this kind of stuff. And we got moved this week, okay? Still wasn't on my timeline, but we got moved this week. I was grateful. We had, some, we had quality help show up, and we got moved in a day. It was really good. But we are an ever-increasing, impatient people. Okay, I'm speaking to everyone in this room. That's not just one of those pastor things that says, this is just for me, it's not for you. This is for all of us in the room. We are all very impatient. I'm not old, Brent. I'm 38, okay? But I remember the day, okay, when I didn't have Fandango to look and see what movie is showing, okay? And so what, what you and I did in our day, Tracy, okay, we're, we're about the same age. What we did in the day, you got the newspaper, right? I, my kids don't know what a newspaper is. They don't. They get on Google, right? My kids don't know what a newspaper is. And so we, we pulled out the newspaper to see what was showing at the theater, right? Leslie, you're from, you're from my part of the uh, town, and, and we went to Northeast Mall, and you hung out at the movie theater, right? And so you, you got in the paper, or you called on the telephone line, 1411, right? And you wanted to listen to the recordings, see what was showing at the movie theater. You remember that? Yeah, you remember that. You didn't pull out your... I mean, I still, I don't have, I only have an iPhone four. Okay. I don't have six or seven, whatever's out, but it's still three G speed. It's still fast. Right. And so you walk into somewhere, right? We're moved into our new house and my mother-in-law, she's there. And I love my mother-in-law. She's here this morning. She says, do you have Wi-Fi yet? I don't have Wi-Fi yet. Okay. We hadn't got that far. We just got moved in. Okay. But we live in a culture where, and we live in a day where technology has advanced so quickly that we are wanting things instantaneously, right? Pictures to load and images to load. And where before it was just you wanted, you wanted data. As a senior in high school, Doug, I, I went to the library at my high school and we could get the Fort Worth Star-Telegram in DOS Prompt. That was the, the, that was the ushering in of the internet, right? And so as DOS Prompt, you, got, some of you guys don't know, but some of you, I'm bringing back memories. You know, I've got some dazed looks from the college section. Like, what is DOS? But, but we, we lived in a time when, so we, we had to be patient. We were still very impatient compared to a generation before us. Right, Miss Wanda? Right? But my children now are even more impatient than I was at that age. And so what I want to do here is I want to I want to pray and then I want to take a look at these promises and see how for centuries God has made promises and we've waited, we've waited and we've waited. Okay, Father, we thank you that you are a faithful and able and willing God. Would you show us in your word this morning just a glimpse of that faithfulness? And how for ages you have pushed forward, maybe not in 4G speed with a T1 line like we want or something that's faster, Ethernet cables included. But, but you've pushed forth consistently and faithfully your plan and it's unfolded. So would you show us that going all the way back to the beginning this morning? That we would be reminded that there is a faithful God who made promises and who's coming again based on a promise He made. Would you show us that by your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 3. If you are brand new to Christianity, if you are new here, if you're not a Christian, what you need to know about the first two chapters of the Bible is that God created everything and it's all perfect. And then in Genesis 3, we're going to see where everything literally is broken. The entire cosmos, the entire universe 
is shattered. It's fractured. It's broken. Sin enters in. And so we're going to pick up in Genesis 3, beginning in verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, being her offspring, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So everything is perfect and man rebels. The serpent, who's more crafty than all, he, he whispers a lie to, to, to Eve and she buys into that lie. Man buys into that lie. And so sin enters in. All is fractured. And because of this, because of rebellion against God, his goodness, his grace... He tells us here in verse 14, he condemns the serpent, he condemns Adam, and he condemns Eve, and he lists for them what this condemnation looks like. And then he says that this woman is going to give birth to a son, and this son is going to crush the head of the serpent. He, he says he's going to destroy evil, destroy death, and put to death once and for all, all that went wrong in the fall. That's what he's declaring there, this is the first announcement, if you will, of the gospel. You've got to be careful with that. But verse 15, he says, I'm going to, there's a promise here. And he's saying to evil personified, you're, listen, you're going to be alive in 10,000 years, but I'm going to crush you. You're not going to prevail. It's a promise. You need to see that here. God is making a promise. Now, if this is a side note, but if you're asking, why didn't God just Crush Satan in, been a lot easier, right? We wouldn't have to deal with all of this. Well, if God would have crushed him, we would have still had a sin record against us. Someone needed to pay that debt. And so we didn't. His plan is perfect, and we'll see that as we move as we move forward. So turn with me to Genesis chapter twelve. We're going to move ahead quickly, so take notes or turn there with me. And in Genesis chapter 12, we're going we're gonna to hear from and see a man named Abram, or Abraham, you may know him. And here in Genesis 12, he's 75 years old. And God is putting together for himself his chosen people. And so in Genesis chapter 12, let's read verses 1, 2, and 3. He says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's putting together this chosen people here. He's speaking to a man named Abraham, who's going to soon be or Abram, who's going to soon be Abraham. And he's beginning to tell Abram what is going to come from him. He makes a promise here. And when it comes to. When it comes to death and sin and destruction, what we know about this promise is that this man is going to be born of a woman. And that's broad. But now we're introduced to Abram, who's soon going to be Abraham. And Abraham is a Jew. And so we know by this promise all the families of the earth shall be blessed that through Abraham is coming this seed. There's a seed that's coming from the woman who's going to crush the head of Satan. We saw that in Genesis 3. So it's a man born of woman. How do I know it's a, a man? He, 
The word tells us that. So it's a man born of woman. And now we know it's going to be a Jew because he's going to come from the line of Abraham. Genesis 17. Turn over a couple more pages. It's page 14 in my Bible. So we've got a man born of a woman. We've got a man that is from the line, a Jewish man from the line of Abraham. And in Genesis 17, we're going to continue to push this promise forward. Look at beginning in verse five. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. So we have a man born of a woman. We have a, a, a man that's born of a woman who's coming from the line of Abraham. So he's a Jewish man. And now we have from the line of kings. Kings are coming from Abraham. Now, here's the interesting part about this in your Bible. There are no kings. It's going to be a few hundred years before there's kings. Okay? You need to begin to feel at this point, Caleb, that, that God is making promises that these people are going, we have no idea, right? There's coming a Messiah, but now he's saying to Abraham, and Abraham knows this, but that there's, there's, there's coming from you, I'm going to come from you, I'm going to bless all the nations. And now there's going to be, from you is going to be kings. There's no kings. In fact, they're going to spend at least 400 years in the wilderness, or I mean in captivity, and then into the wilderness for another 40 years. So we've got a few hundred years before we see kings, okay? So here's a promise made, and God just moving forward. Flip with me to Genesis 49. You get to the end of Genesis and it's the story of Jacob and his sons. It's a very interesting story. The life of Joseph is interesting. But 49 particularly, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Genesis 49. So Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. So Jacob is gathering his sons and he's going to tell them what's about to happen. Verse 2, assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their sword. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their wilf- willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Verse 8. Judah is a lion's cub. For from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion. And as a lioness who dares rouse him, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt 
to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine, and his vesture is the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. So Jacob calls his sons together, and it's a little strange. He calls all all of them together. He says, gather yourselves. I'm going to tell you what's about to happen. And he says to Reuben, my firstborn here, we saw that in the first few verses. He says, listen, you are my strength. You are my might. You're full of dignity and power. You're unstable like water. And you've, you've gone up to your father's bed and you defiled it. He says, you're my firstborn, but the birthright is not going to you. In that culture, the birthright goes to the firstborn. So if you're the firstborn son, the father left everything to you. And he says, listen, son, you're strong, you're mighty, you're full of dignity, but it's not going to you. You're unstable. And then he says to Simeon in verse uh, five, he says to Simeon and Levi, he says, you brothers are well, weapons of violence. And he says so much so that I don't even want to, I don't want you to counsel me. I'm not going to sit under your counsel because if it all goes to them, they're going to someday lead over him until he dies. And he says, I don't want to sit under that. So it's not going to you. And then he, then he gets to Judah, the, the first, fourth born rather. In verse eight, he says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. You shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. So, so you're following what's happening there, okay? He's got his children there. And to the firstborn son, James, he's saying, it's not going to you, okay? And to the others, it's not going to you, okay, Jordan? But my fourthborn son, he says, he says, uh, all of your brothers are going to bow down to you. And the brothers are there. It's a little odd, okay? If you gather all your children, the, the oldest, my oldest daughter, would, she's the oldest, right? And she wants to be the first and the smartest and the fastest and the best, um, and so you gather them before you, Doug, you get all your children and you say to your firstborn, it's not going to you. Okay, sorry, Caitlin. It's not going to you. Um, it's just not. Verse 10. This is in- extremely important here. Look at verse 10. He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So we have a Messiah coming, right? It's in Genesis. We have a seed that we will be born. There's a promised seed that will crush sin. It's coming from woman. It's coming from Abraham. So it's a, it's a, it's a man born of woman that's a Jewish man who's coming from the line of kings, right? And now we know that it's coming from the tribe of Judah. So here's something interesting in regards to these promises, because sometimes I feel like, at least in my own mind, I want to live there and see all of this unfold, right? You're seeing all of this happening, and it feels like when I read it, it's happening at lightning speed. It's just not. Do a quick search, right? Get online, get a good Bible study tool. You know what's happening when God is making these promises? Do you know what's going on in the world around them? Death. Destruction, sin, calamity, right? Evil rulers, ISIS-like forces. I mean, this kind of stuff is really happening then. That's not just our, in our day. This stuff is really happening then. Famines and people without clothes and sicknesses prevailing and people are dying and, 
and, and evil is moving forward and creeping forward. And God's making these promises and he's saying these things. And we're getting to read it on this side, right, of the cross. We're, we got, we got the, the scriptures in our hands. And so we read this, you're like, yeah, there's coming a Messiah. And hundreds and hundreds of years are passing. So we know that we've got a, a man born of woman. He's going to be in the line of David. He's going to be out of the tribe of Judah. And he's going to destroy all that is ailing mankind. All of sin he's going to prevail against. And here's what we don't know, right? We don't know how he's going to destroy sin. We just don't. We, we, we know that he's going to crush the head of Satan. There's a promise, Ronnie. It's in the scriptures. And so we believe it to be true. But we don't know how he's going to destroy sin and death. We don't know how he says, when he says to Abraham, we don't know how he's going to uh, bless all nations of the earth. He's made these promises, but we still have some pieces to put together. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. So we're, we're about to turn the corner, okay? We sang a song this morning, the last song that was sung, Emmanuel. It means God with us. It's an old Mercy Me song, if you, if you know them. Love that song, Emmanuel, God with us. And we're about to see where that comes from. He's, we sang scripture this morning, okay? And you're going to see, it's not just some praise song that they crafted in a room somewhere. This is scripture that we're singing. So let's look here, beginning in verse 14. The sign of Emmanuel is coming. So verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name. What? Emmanuel. It means and that word literally means God with us. So here we have this God saying the Lord himself is going to give us a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a Son and shall call his name Emmanuel. People say, How do you know that Mary, how do you know that Mary and Joseph have never been together? How do you know? People want to believe that, right? But surely that's not true. Well, yeah, the New Testament says it, but the, the Old Testament says it too, right? And maybe your translation says a young maiden, okay? Does anybody in translation say a young maiden? I think the NIV says that. But it says, Behold, I will give you a sign in verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. If you've ever experienced the birth of a child, that's fairly miraculous, right? I've been there for three of them. It's pretty, pretty miraculous. It really is. The first time I was, I was weak in my knees, Doc. I really was. I was like, oh my goodness, man. This is really happening. They were, this person was not here before. Now they're here, right? It's just weird. It's crazy. It really is. Um, now on the day that our firstborn, the day she arrived in Decatur, Texas hospital, there were a lot of people in the waiting room. There just were, man, they were waiting all day. It was an all day affair. We went like, I don't know, five in the morning. We got there maybe earlier. I think she was born at eight thirty something that night. It was a long day. People in the waiting room. And man, when that baby was born, I'm like raising hands. I'm weepy. eyed, and I'm just broken, man. Uh, Waited for that baby 
for almost 10 years, right? But you know what didn't happen? I mean, we're in Decatur, Texas, okay? Brent, they didn't give you a day off that day, man. They didn't. The stars over Stephenville, Texas did not stop. They didn't. Sutton, right? You didn't get out of school that day. You, di- you just didn't, right? It-, it was miraculous, no doubt. But it was not a cosmic sign, right? And that's how I know when he says, behold a virgin, because that's a sign like no other. Lots of babies have been born, right? They just have. Lots and lots and lots of babies have been born. But not, not a sign like that. A woman that's never been with a man. That is a cosmic sign. That is unnatural, right? And so all of creation stands still in that moment. The stars in the sky hung for the magi to sit, and the shepherds were there and the angels sing. Angels did not show up at Decatur Memorial Hospital and sing that day. Did they when your children were born? Did they? I don't, I mean, I know you were singing, right? But they didn't show up, Deb, when our kids were born. I mean, maybe in heaven, right? There's a bell, I don't know, whatever movie you watch, but okay. But he says here, he says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. That's a big deal. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So this means that God is with us. Now look at verse 15, because this is just important. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Curds and honey are the diet of peasants. They just are. And so a king, (laughs) a king is from the line of kings, Daryl, is coming a man born of a woman, right? born of a virgin, Emmanuel, God with us, and he's going to be acquainted with the poor. It's, It's amazing. He's eating curds and honey. It should have been no surprise that Jesus was laid in a manger and that the, there was no room for him at the end, right? He was in a manger. It shouldn't taken anybody off guard that Jesus was homeless when he walked the earth. Did you know that? He didn't have a place to lay his head. He was homeless. It's pretty interesting. He's acquainted with that. Keep moving forward to Isaiah 9. Should be the same page or, or the next page over for you. Isaiah 9, 1. And there will no longer, there will be no gloom for her who, who was in anguish. In the former time, he, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Neptali. But in the latter times, he, was made, he has made glorious the way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. I, I was talking to a couple last night, Edward and Jennifer, as a matter of fact. And I, I said, the Old Testament is filled and is rich with all this stuff. And I want to go to Isaiah 9 and, and we're going to be there because we, we want to get to, to the, to down into verse 6. We got to get there. But there's so much there. And how much of history do you get? You can, you can spend a week talking about verse 1 because of all the history. And all the, the bottom line is Isaiah 9, 1 is a reference to this part in Israel. It's the northern Israel. And it was the gateway for people to enter the country. It was a very, very, very bad place to live. You did not want to build a home there. You didn't want to rent a house there. You didn't want to make your home there. It was, it was bad. People were murdered. Villages were pillaged. Women were raped. It was a horrible, horrible place to live. Blood was shed. It was a gloomy place, okay? Read chapter 8 of Isaiah and get that. But, but look what he says in, in chapter 9. He says, but there will no, be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he was brought into contempt, the land of Zebulun and the land of Neptali. So it's this horrible place 
to live. But look at what he says. But no longer will this be the case. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So he says, no longer is this going to be the the case. And then he begins to mention this place called Galilee. Does anyone ever, Dick, have you ever heard of Galilee? What took place in Galilee? You ever heard of a man from Galilee? What happened there? Pete, what happened there? Jesus's ministry was there, right? So now, now we don't have his name, but you got this man, Tina, that's born of a woman who's going to crush the head of the enemy. Promise was given in Genesis three. I mean, it's like, I don't know what your timeline is, but that's a many thousands of years ago, right? So this seed that's going to be, it's going to come from a woman. A man's going to be born of a woman, a Jewish man from the line of kings, from the line of David, who is going to be born, born of a virgin. There's a cosmic sign. He's born of a virgin. He's going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. And now this place of gloom and destruction and anguish is what he says in verse one is going to be no longer. He's, there's this, he says, but in the latter time, he has made glorious. He uses the word glorious. There's this comparison, right? It's gloomy. There's anguish, but now it's glorious in Galilee. There's coming someone from that land who's paving the way. Verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them as Light shined. You have multiplied the nation have increased its joy. They rejoice, rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest and as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. You have broken as on the day of Midian for every boot of the tramping war warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. The promise is very simple. There is coming a Messiah and peace is going to reign where war once did. That's what he said. And so to these people that lived in that time, this was fresh water, right? They're living in a time that's rough and dark and gloomy. And so he's making this promise and he says, it's going to be no more. In fact, it's going to be glorious, right? It'd be like us believing, really believing that Jesus is coming back for us. Right? Kenneth, where's Kenneth? That's a good place for an amen. There you go. Look at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We just turned a very, very, very big corner there. You have a man born of a woman who's going to be in the line of Abraham from the tribe of Judah in the line of David, whose house the scepter will never, ever leave. And he will be acquainted with the poor. But look at at the end of verse six. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What's the next phrase? Mighty God. Now you have God. God. They believed in creator God. And so now all of these promises begin to come into light. So now you have this man that's coming who's going to be God. 
God is going to be with us. And, you, and maybe you're sitting here going, well, no kidding, but, but you've you got you to know that these guys are not on that, this side of the cross. This is just promises, right? These are people just being faithful to a God who's just speaking to him, right? I mean, they, they don't have this. They, they don't have the word. They don't have the cross to look back on. They don't have any of that. These people are just being faithful and death and sickness and sin is reigning and evil and gloom and anguish and they're marching forward faithful and consistent and faithful and consistent and promises are given promises are given promises are given and now in isaiah 9 you have him saying now this man that's coming is going to be god with us wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace You know, the interesting thing about this is that when Jesus actually comes, they know these prophecies. And here's what happened. Here's what went wrong when Jesus actually came. I say it went wrong. Um, Here's what here's what bad for the people. They really believed that this man was truly going to sit on a throne and give the Roman government a boot and overthrow them. Right. And he's going to rule and reign physically over them. And that's going to be the end to all their problem because Rome was the problem then. Right. Rome wasn't the problem. Rome's never been the problem. Our government's not the problem. ISIS is not the problem. And you need to hear me say this today because I mean this. The, The problem is a sick heart. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all the Old Testament teaches that. It doesn't matter who you put as president. It doesn't matter who you put as governor. It doesn't matter who our mayor is. And I get that that you have right, God honoring, God fearing, Christ exalting gospel-centered men in those positions, women in those positions, and things can be different. But at the end of the day, it's not the solution. Rome will all, there will be another Rome. There's going to be another Roman emperor. There's going to be another someone that goes wrong. The problem is not Rome. The problem is not our government. The problem is not Afghanistan or the Middle East. And I know there's conflict there and those things are bad. and, And evil is still here, just like it was in those days, just like it was in the days of Rome and the Caesars and all those things. But the problem is not Rome. The problem is a heart problem. The problem is sickness here, not outside of us. We've been saying that in youth. The greatest problem exists where? Not outside of us. It's inside of us, right? And so in my home, when I'm frustrated and I'm impatient and I'm, I, I, we say that, right? My greatest problem is not outside of me. It's not my wife. It's not whether or not I can move. It's not carpet. It's not paint. It's not, no, It's my heart. It's sin in my own heart. And the gospel alone allows me to see that. The gospel mirror alone allows me to hold that up and say, listen, Josh, listen, Rome, listen, whoever. The problem is not those people outside of you. And everybody gets their business right. I'll be okay. The problem is inside of me. So now God is going to be with us. Keep turning to the right. Isaiah 53. But how are the nations going to be blessed? How does God solve this sin issue? How does he solve a heart issue? If it's not Rome or some other oppressive ruler, if it's not your boss, right? Or if if your employees think you're the problem, whatever. um, How's God going to solve all that, right? Isaiah 53. Let's get there. Verse 3. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. Now, now you need to remember, this is about 700 years before Christ. Anybody here 700 years old? I, I mean, I know we got some gray hair and some, I got some wrinkles and was looking at pictures yet, but we're not, we've, these people have been waiting a very, very, very long time, period. And so Isaiah is going to be speaking these things and we get excited and we're going to have plays about it, right? Handel's Messiah and all these, and we, we sing songs from out of here and yet it's another 700 years at least before Jesus is here. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Transgressions are things that we do. He was crushed for our iniquities. It's who you are. It's your bent. You have a bent towards certain things. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes or by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is a four through six is Christ in our place. That's what it is. It's Christ in our place. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Someone had to pay the sin debt from Genesis 3. He was he has put him to grief. Or has made him sick. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted as righteous. So Isaiah is prophesying here, and he says in verse 11, that by his knowledge, Jesus was not surprised. This is not God forcing Jesus to go to the cross, okay? God did not say, son, this is the only way, do it. No, Jesus laid down his life, right? He says, no one takes my life, but I what? I lay it down. He says, and by his knowledge shall the righteous one, So Jesus knows my servant make many to be accounted righteous. Outside of the cross, we are unrighteous. Romans 3 tells us. None is good, no, not one. And he shall, here's here's what, what many call the great exchange. And he shall bear their what? Iniquities. Over in verse 4. Or five, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. So he bears on himself. This is the great exchange. He takes our sin on himself on the cross. Is a recipient of God's wrath. Because you and I, Tina, deserve it. 
right? We're born dead in our sins and trespasses, Ephesians tells us. We're enemies of God, Ephesians tells us. And so Christ goes to the cross willingly to bear our iniquity. He takes upon himself all of that, receives the God pours the cup of his judgment, the wrath on him on the cross. Verse 12, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made, makes intercession for the transgressors. And Isaiah 53, if, you, if your heart is not racing, <laughs> this is a powerful passage. This is the substance behind the shadow of Christmas. Isaiah 53. You need to know that. This, this is what you want the gifts, right? You, you want the gift, Braden, whatever that is. You want it. You want your mom and dad to get you something, right? We all want gifts. I know that there's some righteous people in this room, but you want a gift. Let's be honest, okay? I mean, Edward, you want a gift, right? I mean, something. <laughs> if, you just, if you don't get what you wanted, right? Like, shucks, you know? You just wanted, Stephanie, that perfect gift, right? Or you get it. And it doesn't satisfy, right? You get it and you open it. It's everything you wanted and dreamed of. And Brent went to great lengths to get it. And a month passes and you're like, where's the gift? I don't know. Why? Because it's a shadow. This, this is the substance, right? This is our longing for the perfection. C.S. Lewis says our longing to the return of Eden, right? When you, you ever have that family time. And, and when I was little, I think I've shared this here before. I don't, I've shared it before somewhere. And, and my cousins, after my brother died, I was an only child and uh, for a little while. And, and, uh, my cousins, Brian and Kevin would come over and man, we would have the greatest weekends. It'd be Thanksgiving or Christmas. It'd be something. And we would play, right? We would hang out. We would, we were boys. We had Red Rider BB guns and we'd go on rafting trips down the Brazos and we'd be shooting everything and floating down the river and we'd get, everything was wet. We'd camp out we had a good time and then they'd go home and I, I'm just going to tell you, there's some, there's some manly men in this room. Okay. But I would go to my room and I would cry like a baby because I, it felt so good for, to be with them. Right. It's just this, this goodness. And Lewis says, that's our longing to be back in Eden before everything was broken. That, that perfect harmony fellowship with our creator. And Isaiah is telling us that all of us, We've, we've gone astray. We're like sheep. We've, he, but, but I'm sending a man, a man born of a woman. He's coming from Abraham, the line of Abraham, from the line of kings, from the tribe of Judah. He's, he's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. And it's actually going to be God with you. And I'm going to crush him. It's going to be my pleasure. I don't understand that. But it's going to be God's pleasure. It's his will to crush him and put him to grief on the cross so that we, he will bear our Iniquity, right? This goes back to the promise made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Isn't that incredible? I mean, it should be incredible to you. It really should be. Um, That God is just sowing this thread through all of history. And you need to hear this morning because for some of you, the holidays are very hard. I get that. I, I, I totally get that. A loved one that you miss, right? Family that you don't get to see, right? 
things that happen. I, I, I get that. Reminders of past. But, but you need to hear this morning that God is a God that He keeps, He gives promises. He makes promises and He keeps them. We, we, it's hard for us to get there because we make promises and what do we do? We break them, right? I'm so sorry, man. I was, I'm, I'm late. I told you I'd be here. I'm just sorry things happened. And we're okay. We operate in grace. But, but we don't understand a promise made and a promise kept every single time. And that's the God that you and I, that's the God that we're preaching from the Bible this morning. I'm not going to say the God we serve because not everyone, everyone in here, I don't believe, is a Christian. So we, that's the God of the Bible. And he, he made a promise to you and I, to his, his bride, the church, those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, who have been born again, whose hearts are brand new. Jeremiah 32 and Ezekiel 36 say, if he took your heart of stone and he gave you a heart of flesh, if that is you, your promise is that he is coming again for you. And we... We wait, man. I'm telling you. (laughs) I love my girls. (laughs) But if I don't ever see them grow up and get married and Jesus returns, I'm okay. (laughs) I am. I mean that. Not because I don't want some hairy armed boy coming after him. but (laughs) But I want Jesus to come back. I'm ready. I don't like reading the news like you do. Any, any less or any more than you do. I, I don't like turning on the TV. I don't like hearing stories. I don't in, I, we encounter, we engage sin every day. We're, I'm sitting with people who are finished with marriage because I'm, I'm sitting with people who are broken and sin is prevailing in their home. And we're just pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back. And so I'm asking this guy, what, what promises? He says, man, I'm, 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 I'm banking on the fact that Jesus is coming again. Because <laughs> if we don't believe that, let's go home. Barbecue at the Ardall's house, right? I mean, barbecue at my house. We got moved, okay? Come over. He's coming again. He, he is. And we believe that. And so this time of Christmas right now, I want us to see. And what we're going to show tonight, we're going to hear from, from what Edward's going to preach. And, and Lord willing, my family sitting around a table is we're going we're to go to Isaiah 9 tonight with you. And we're going to read that as a family. And we're going to do a little family activity. And they're going to color a page for you. And, and we're going to pray. And we're going to light a candle. And I'm just going to show you how we, how we honor and celebrate Advent in our home just as a way to take my little church. Okay? My little church called the Lewis ladies, and lift their eyes to Jesus and point them to their creator and say, listen, what do you want for Christmas? We're going to buy gifts. We're going to put up a tree. We have it up. We're going to have a wreath. But all of this is about Christ because God in Genesis 3 promised that he was sending his son. I know it doesn't say it exactly that way, but I hope you saw that this morning. He's sending his son and he did. Right? Right, Kenny? We're celebrating that. Jesus was born. And we sit here on this side going, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen? The next time he comes, he's not coming in a crib, Kenneth. He's not. He's not going to be a baby. He's going to be king. He's going to be ruler. And nations will bow down. And every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. And Jesus is Lord forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, I, I, I know personally that like when Augustine wrote that sometimes eternity is like standing next to that stained glass window and you, you got your nose pressed against it or you, you're standing really close and you, and you don't see the whole picture. Maybe you see red or orange or yellow or purple and it's, it's pretty and it's beautiful, that, but the edges are jagged and, and they're misshapen and, and you don't really know what the picture is. You don't get it. Sometimes when we think about you and, and your son Christ and we live in a moment where we forget that you've made promises and the promises that your son is returning again and you keep your promises. So we shouldn't live in a way that is lackadaisical about that. We, we, we need to live with urgency and expectancy that Christ is coming again. So I, I want us just this morning from your word to, I pray that we were able to step back and see the a little bit more of the picture of the stained glass picture that Augustine referred to. And it's really more beautiful than just our little 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years here. That's just a little bitty piece. That's a little bitty piece with lots of rough edges. But God, you have been faithful throughout the generations. Promises made. Promises kept. Promises made. Promises kept, not at lightning speed. Lots of busy signals, it seems like. Lots of timelines that are not ours. And so we get impatient. We get impatient, and yet you continue to press ahead. You continue to press ahead. And this morning, you're pressing in on us, saying, I'm coming again. I'm coming again. So I pray this morning, Lord, that, that some in this room would know about the great exchange that you spoke of in Isaiah 53. That he bore our iniquity. And for the saints in this room, and there would be a greater sense of urgency because your, your king, your king is coming again. And so we say, Come. Lord Jesus, come. We pray all these things in His mighty name. Amen.